Yo sé que tú lo dudas, que yo te quiera tanto. Si quieres me abro el pecho y te entrego el corazón. This is uh, Drifting Cloud Press and your host, Gabriel Thomas Stevens. And we have um, one of the most uh, prolific, I would say, guests that we have on Drifting Cloud Press. <laughs> um, returning for the third time, is that right? I think so, yeah. Or fourth, if you count the time that we recorded it and it didn't work. Wow, yeah, so the fourth. Well, so we, we recorded this, uh, well, we didn't record this um podcast on beauty and so here we are today at uh uk time it's about 20 past six and mm. uh gabriella you are in australia could you just tell us a little bit about where you are yeah i'm um, currently looking out on mango trees and banana trees and wildflowers that i don't yet know the name of um i'm in queensland in the bush um which is just on the east coast of australia and it's afternoon here it's just past three o'clock wow okay mm. well it's going to be a slightly different format to the show so normally um i'm in the studio but right now i'm i'm also at home and uh yeah looking out at a blue sky and mm. um so I, i'll i'll add music in uh, later stage uh, but for now we'll just we'll just uh, discuss beauty and uh, the listeners will later um, have music to accompany it great so where do we where do we begin Gabriella well um I've been thinking about this question of beauty since you brought it in again and I don't think we'd be having another chat about this I thought we'd kind of you know we 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 spoke live about, well, almost two months ago now, didn't we? About beauty. Wow, yeah, it was um, two months ago, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was just before I was leaving for Australia and we rushed to go to the radio and record this talk and we didn't record it. And I think that that's actually really interesting because we ended up having a conversation that was as fleeting as beauty is. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at it metaphorically, it was like, 
we were in the realms of um, mortality, not immortality, which is curious because beauty is the um, essence, the preferred essence of Aphrodite, who is a god. And when humans look upon her beauty box, um, they fall asleep. And so I thought, and, and so, you know, it's not for mortals is what I mean. So it's beauty is in the Greek myths only meant for the eyes of immortals. And I think that's a really curious image um, that I thought we could bring in at some point and um, perhaps through the story of Psyche and Eros, because mm-hmm. um, beauty is such a big theme there. So when um, when they when they see when a mortal sees um, the box of Aphrodite and they fall asleep, do they have uh, a memory of it? Do they recollect it when they wake up? Or um, in the story of Psyche and Eros, no. Um, is it the box of she... Aphrodite or is it the box of um, Eros? It's the box of Persephone, actually. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. So. That might actually be a good starting point. We can just start with the story. Um, so it's it's Persephone's box, and you'll have to remind me because I I have read the story, but it's been a it's been a long it's been a while. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a massive. I mean it's full of layers upon layers of image, isn't it? And um, well, essentially, the story of Psyche and Eros um, is about Psyche having to undertake four impossible tasks. Um, to win over Aphrodite's favour and essentially prove the strength of her love for Aphrodite's son, Eros. Um, And so Aphrodite sets her these tasks and the final task is to descend down into the underworld um, to meet with Persephone and retrieve her box that contains her beauty um, or the beauty of the queen of the underworld is another image mm-hmm. um, uh, and Persephone uh, sorry and Psyche has to retrieve this box from Persephone to take back up to Aphrodite um, and the catch is that under no circumstances is she to look inside the box and Aphrodite is very clear about this um, But of course, at the very end of her journey, just before she gets the box to Aphrodite, she peeks inside it. And what happens is that there's nothing in the box, at least to her eyes, the box is empty. But the effect is that it sends her into a deep sleep. She just kind of knocks out. (laughs) Yeah. And um, what I understand by that image is that this is the beginning of her dreaming um that you know this sleep motif that is so recurrent in fairy tales you know like the sleeping beauty um Mm. or snow white um in fact pl travis um the mythologist has a really interesting commentary on sleep um and the motif of sleep in myth Um, and she essentially asks these three questions, which I always, um, I've kind of, I've I've sort of memorized them like a mantra. I just keep them close because I find them very helpful. Three questions Um, on sleep. 
yes, um, on the motif or the spell of sleep. Um, she asks, what is it in us that at a certain moment in our life suddenly falls asleep? She asks, who lies hidden deep within us? And she asks, who will come at last to wake us? You know, what aspect of ourselves will wake us up? Um, and her take on this image of sleep is essentially that we're dealing with the sleeping soul, you know, um, and the external affairs of life that sort of hem it in and hide it, um, that something something falls asleep in us after mm -hmm. childhood um, and that if it's not waken uh, or awoken sorry it would it would make life meaningless but when, and so <clears throat> when we go when we fall asleep in adulthood let's say and we we dream is that awakening that soul in do you mean literal sleep yeah or is this just like a um, metaphoric or the motif in, in stories? Yeah, this is more a metaphor, I think, for waking up to a more to a fullness of life. Like That's interesting. being fully alive. You know, like Psyche, it's it's only when she's in her deep sleep, in that state of deep sleep, that Eros can find her. You know, and obviously Psyche and Eros, they're their images as well as you know their own kind of um intelligences images that that live within us so you know our psyche and eros um and when psyche is asleep eros finds it finds psyche mm. you know it's it, eros as the force that is enlivening and animating you know, that wakes the psyche up out of its slumber. That's how I understand the story. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's Eros that brings psyche back to life at the end. Um, and it's the kind of life that is then informed by the underworld because she has been down and completed this impossible task and she has faced beauty head on. Um, and... You know, last time we talked about this, we talked about how you can't look upon the gods, at least in Greek myth, without being blinded, right? Because they're too bright. Mm. And that I think is a is the image of the beauty box where she looks in and she can't she can't see it. It's too bright for human eyes. It's not for mortals. Um, and it just knocks her out. Mm. That's um, yeah, that's so fascinating. Is is Psyche? Mm. Um, do you know like the lineage of Psyche? Does she is she all mortal? Is she fully mortal? Does she have? Is she um, somewhere in a descent come from gods or? Yeah, she's part human, part divine. Um, it's so interesting, it's like... isn't it? Though, because like in Greek, usually the part human usually is even if you have part human, it makes you you're you're always mortal, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. She is, I mean, overall, she's mortal. She's not with, she doesn't sit with the gods. Um, and I think that's why she has to earn the love of one of the gods, because Eros is a god. 
and so to earn the love of the divinity you know and and to to prove it to the mother <laughs> aphrodite yeah. goddess yeah. of beauty she has to go through these tasks that's amazing and uh, there's um I I always when I think of this story I always think of uh, one of Martin's quotes that Aphrodite is the ocean and Psyche is a drop of water and that mm. in between the two there's some circulation um, yes I love and, that um, yeah it's just I think what a great place to start with beauty because um, I think beauty in this culture or um, is is all about external appearances but sleep is so mm. internal and and you you really have to go inward um yeah and it's it's amazing that actually eros is found there yes um, inside instead of outside yes it's like that's it's like she becomes divine through beauty you know and that idea is all this time i mean islamic mystics would interpret that that final stage of an initiatory journey as the they called it the divinization of the self um mm. and essentially you know this idea of going from mortal to immortal like becoming divine i understand it as being um as moving into a f- of being fully alive like fully awake you know yeah yeah um, yeah that we're fully engaged in an intimate relationship with beauty mm. um because the, yeah. in, in a way the 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 immort- immortality of the gods requires our mortality in order to have um meaning yes exactly it? because we without without us you know they live they live in a changeless seasonless place and yeah um they're deathless so our I think uh, love and and uh, our dramas and that's that's all great theatre and it it, it creates that circulation doesn't it that brings the gods down and us into relation with the gods yes absolutely and I think that that's part of the transformative power of beauty which I've been thinking about a lot lately like in the Renaissance, they had this notion that the glory of God is the human being fully alive, right? And to be fully alive is to be, like we were just saying, in full relationship with beauty, right? Because you can't behold something unless you're alive to it. Mm. So you can't, you don't see beauty (laughs) unless you've (laughs) sort of you know, polished the eye, like John O'Donohue talks about beautifying our gaze. Um, and, and so looking upon the world through the gaze of beauty, and that this is like, this is how we experience the grace of beauty. Um, oh. by, by beautifying our eye, you know, and our perception. Mm. and it has to and it has to be mortal our, our like framework has to be mortal I think that's um yeah because uh there's I don't know why this this particular quote is coming to my mind but Hillman mm. always talks about the, the the transfiguration of matter occurs through wonder mm. and I think that when we we transfix something 
you know such as beauty I think that's when we mm. we get into a lot of trouble isn't it because yeah we 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 mistake that um the youth which has that has that drop or essence of immortality doesn't yeah. it and we want to yeah. prolo- prolong that and and sort of I I that's what I see um you know sort of like Botox and uh all these mm. sort of like beauty altercations that we can get into um which is trying to escape like that are that we're in a mortal frame and that that, mm. that we're on a on a on a line which is aging um yes because I think when you see someone in their you know in you know in their 60s 70s 80s and they carry that that age um mm. I, I, I don't think there's there's anything more beautiful than that yeah absolutely it's like um Hellman talks about ugliness a lot as well and he I love this idea of ugly or the ugly is whatever we don't notice Hmm. so what you don't notice becomes ugly wow that is interesting yeah and so it's like it it it, it's it there's a dullness you know it becomes a bore It, it kills the heart um and it, it it's like when you don't have the eyes to behold something you see it with the eyes that you have to behold it you know and if you're not exposed to this idea of beautifying the gaze that john o'donohue talks about you're actually just stuck in seeing a dullness around you you know like a life that isn't fully again that you're not fully alive to like Blake put it really nicely as well. Like he talks about, um, I'm going to butcher him, but he says something like um, those who keep company with machines will become what they behold. (laughs) You know, like this idea that we're just machines, like moving through the world, um, living in a beautiless society, you know, um, and the the loss of beauty is the loss of soul um Mm. and the loss of soul happens when we lose a sense of beauty um you know it's like you you know and because psyche is soul she needs beauty and so in order to earn her right to gaze upon beauty she has to go through these initiatory tasks and that's why beauty i see or i think is a transformative power you know it's a transformative force Mm. um it's not that we just have access to it i think we do when we're kids and then i think like travis says something falls asleep in us and it's up to us to wake ourselves out of that sleep and so you know there's thresholds that we have to move through in our lives that we have agency around obviously like there's free will you don't have to move through um, but if you do, um, it, it, it's like there's then access to a move away from repetitive cycles, you know, of neurosis and addiction and harmful behaviors. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I think of the word threshold actually, and it, it means, um, or it comes from the word threshed, in the old English, which means to separate the grain from the husk right and Mm. 
I think when you move into a more, um, when you move through thresholds in your life, like actively participating in struggle, you know, and moving through it and out of it, um, we're placed in this more worthy fullness, you know? Yeah. Um, because we've earned something in us, mm. you know? And, and we cross a new threshold and we cross worthily. Um, and so we can heal these patterns of repetition um, that had us caught somewhere, you know, and, and cross into new ground where we don't repeat what we've been through in, in the last place we were. And we're closer to beauty. Yeah, and I think that repetition um, has it. Yeah, has a healing quality to it. If it's if you bring that sort of um, aliveness and uh, awareness that you're speaking of, because I think that that's yeah, that's such a because we 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 all know beauty as you said, like as as children we have it. Um, yeah, and I think uh, what's fascinating is that you know we have to lose it in order to refine it. And that, mm. that that's, you know, Jung talks about that, which is uh, he talks about like projections and you can't you can't have a projection until you you like falter or you kind of fall out with it, mm. you know, and then it then you um, sort of become really wedded to it in a different um, configuration. Mm. That's beautiful. And just just I was thinking beautiful. also like the, the, the repetition of sleep. Mm. and uh yeah sleep just like sleep is such a a fascinating way to continue our talk on beauty i think because um i was thinking about the tale of you, you know gilgamesh the 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 mm. which is a i think rilke talked about it as the epic of the fear of death mm. and um his last one of his last things because he's a king that wants to be immortal and uh he finally reaches um i think it's the the land of urupishna and he's only the he's one of the only or the only uh mortal that ever became immortal and um he says he says to uh gilgamesh you know if you can if you can forgo sleep for i think it's eight or nine days then I will grant you immortality. And obviously Gilgamesh, after all his traveling, after all his journeying, uh, falls asleep straight away. And mm. um, him, uh, Irupishna and his wife are like, you know, he's a man, he's, he's a human, of course he's going to try and trick us out of uh, pretending that he never fell asleep. So they break, they, mm. they bake loaves of bread each day that he sleeps. And so by the ninth night, there's a line of loaves and each is uh, like incrementally more stale than the, than the next. Um, and the last mm -hmm. loaf is completely fresh. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, somehow that I feel that, you know, that we can never escape um, sleep, um, which is also mm -hmm. often so spoken about in, in relation to death. Sleep is the cousin, cousin of death mm -hmm. um, and how absolutely actually if we bring that in and the the repetition that that carries um we can always refine beauty i think yeah yeah and sleep as a regenerative force you know that that 
it's like this idea that when you wake up every morning, you have this new um, invitation to meet life more fully, you know, and this question of where did I not show up as fully as I could to life? And I get to do it again. You know, when we wake up, it's like coming out of death, yeah. essentially, and we get another yeah. go. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to do, I think, is to wake up every day. Yeah, It's the unsung hero of, of humanity. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's we... right. I... Hmm. Yeah, it's a very um, existential thing. Um, and also the trust that's involved, I think. The trust mm. that we like allow ourselves to fall asleep and 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 have the trust that we'll wake up. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good question as well. Like, do you trust in life ultimately? And do you trust in, you know, the compassion of life and mm. um that, you know, giving like fully surrendering the psyche to life um yeah. and beauty and, is and trust then, yeah beauty yeah, is trust absolutely. trust trust in relation to the world in in how yeah. you navigate i think i think that's yeah that's yeah i had never thought yeah. about beauty in that in that way but i think when you trust the world i think you see much more you see more beauty within it and you're in relationship yes. to it Yes, because you're in touch with a world that isn't predatory, you know, that that's compassionate. Um, mm. And that's, and, you know, that there's this, you know, perhaps Psyche, perhaps Aphrodite always knew that Psyche was going to complete her tasks. Yeah. You know, like, it could be that she sets them up because you know, a bit like throwing a, a mother bird, chucking her, her baby out of the nest, knowing that they'll fly. I mean, granted, some don't. It's maybe a bad image. <laughs> well, no, I but... think it's, I think that's fair. You know, I think some, you know, some have to, some have to not survive. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what you said earlier, and you brought in Rilke, and Rilke's, you know, I mean, he's got some wonderful ideas on on beauty doesn't he he's like one of the maestros along with john o'donoghue on beauty and mm. and in his do you remember in his letters to a young poet he talks about letting everything happen to you beauty and terror and he says for beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror which we are wow. barely able to endure and it amazes us so because it serenely disdains to destroy us. Every angel is terrible. Ooh. So, you know, to experience, <laughs> to experience beauty, we have to, you know, we have to sit with the terrible angel. We have to sit with terror. Um, and I think often that terror is rooted in our fear of our own brightness as we said earlier, mm. and Marian Williamson talks about that. Um, she talks about our deepest fear being our inadequacy. Uh, sorry, not being our inadequacy, being our, our, our power and our light. Um, and it's not our darkness that most frightens us, but it's our, our brightness. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And beauty, I think, is that transformative power that, you know, walks side by side with terror. Um, I've certainly experienced it here in Australia. It's like I've just landed in this completely new landscape. Everything is foreign. Um, and I have this opportunity to fully step into the temple of beauty, Aphrodite's temple. Mm. Um, and I notice that everything in me fights it, you know, and is like, pull back, pull back, abort, <laughs> go back. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what happens. There's something that I think is conditioned societally as well that we don't feel we deserve beauty um that it's too that we're too small you know that we are only mortal after all but i think it's important mm. to remember that psyche is part divine you know like she is part immortal and psyche in us is part divine and we carry that spark in us as well um yeah you know and, and but also so, I, I think and yeah. just not just speaking upon the approach it's just mm. you know not it's also i think worth saying that um if a anything of <clears throat> a divine quality can't be or should not be looked at directly so sometimes mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that uh there's not there's not, not a part of us that feels that we we can't have that but also that just you know that we have to step lightly you know that mm -hmm. um that it takes it takes time to for, mm. for in order for it to appear but i hear what you're saying also that it is very scary and that quality mm -hmm. of terror is definitely there mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah just like the um you know, Simone Weil talks about it as well. She says something like we can't, um, she was like, human existence is such fragile a thing that I cannot love without trembling. Mm. Um, oh, beautiful. You know, I, I love that one as well, because oh, it really is this beautiful. very, like, humbling human thing, isn't it? That we're in the face of this transformative force that is compassionate and is ultimately love aphrodite right beauty love yeah. um and uh, you know that we you know perhaps as, as as you were talking about you know an ultimate ingredient to to you know really immerse ourselves in that cauldron is gentleness you know like can we allow ourselves more gentleness and softness yeah um, in the face of this like immensely transformative force i think because... i think in, in a way its power is that it's so soft you know that it can yeah. if you allow allow it to shape you um it has you know almost has that the force of water in the way that shapes a stone yeah that it, it it does it but in a way that you almost can't see it yeah yeah because it's also it's it's this paradox isn't it there's a softness to get there but but i think there's also a fierceness because you know yeah. without her fierceness psyche wouldn't be able to complete the impossible tasks she wouldn't even make it down to the underworld let alone back out 
you know and i think there's you know socially when we talk about beauty we often like you said associate it with a more superficial appearance or like a nice loveliness you know or these kind of societal expectations based on impossible standards mm. of beauty um but really what we're talking about is this transformative force that that John O'Donoghue refers to as as a more rounded and substantial becoming um you know and that that it's from this place that we can access a deeper sense of depth and homecoming um and belonging um yeah yeah definitely i was just whilst you were speaking as well i was just thinking mm. you know what's maybe what's the opposite of beauty or where does it find um yeah where does it find its opposite and i was i was the word for me that came up was glamour mm, i think yes i think glamour is sort of um the the mirage of beauty the the surface mm-hmm. rather than the depth um, yes and glamour has that uh yeah there's a, there's a violence to glamour i think or that predatory yes. uh ah uh, yeah it's it's you know i think that's when you sort of transfix um beauty um and i think that yeah. that's that's what so often Absolutely. happens um you know yeah i think um glamour also as if we refer to it from the irish perspective or the perspective of irish myth glamour is the fairy glamour right it's the mist that surrounds the kingdom of the fae um like the mists of avalon for example and it's 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 a it's the it marks the entrance into another way of experiencing the world that is a little bit like smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. right like that's how they protect their kingdom <laughs> through this like misty yeah. unclear sort of you don't know your shape when you're in it and you don't mm. know the shape of anything around you um it's not a place that's to be trusted actually um yeah and i think that that is what covers often our presentation in the world like presenting with glamour um because that's the social standard that's the expectation um glamour but it's funny glamour. when you hmm, sorry mm, no i was just going to say that when you asked what the opposite when you put that question out like what's the opposite of beauty where my mind went was ugliness and what makes mm. something ugly you know and i think it's it is that it is glamour it is this false beauty you know that's actually quite dull like we said earlier james hillman talking about the ugliness is whatever we don't notice it becomes ugly yeah it becomes yeah. dull so maybe glamour is a, a a gradient between beauty and ugliness like as you say ugliness is yeah you're probably like the the diametrically opposed opposite of beauty but to get there there's this sort of like middle gradient which is yeah the glamour and like yeah, i can't i can't like help the, but feel yeah. that the you know that the mist i think that's such a I hadn't I, I didn't know that that you know that's how the Irish spoke about it um mm. but also how close it is to that word clamor like the sound that it's mm. it's 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 loud in its in its mm. approach and mm. and it's easy to get lost in that because you know that's 
a high high it has its own high frequency you know um, yeah. but then you, it's easy to miss the, the subtler approach that's beneath that yeah yeah absolutely and I think that clamor is a an attribute of our society like there's a lot of noise <laughs> mm, yeah you know, that's and, it yeah and and that's the the um, I think that's the nature of a world that has lost its soul um, or a society that has lost its soul. Um, those are the symptoms of the loss of soul and that mm. loss of the sense of beauty. Um, you know, Kathleen Rain is an amazing resource also, like another maestra of beauty. Um, she wrote a, an essay called The Use of the Beautiful. Um, and she, she, I mean, she talks about soul as is accessible only through beauty. Um, wow. And that, that we can't, that we don't have access to the eyes that can see beauty unless we're in touch with our soul. So it's kind of like this, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, because you can't access your soul without having a, a a uh, um, beautified gaze as John O'Donoghue would say but you can't see through a beautified gaze unless you have access to your soul <laughs> so yeah. it's all very yeah. complex <laughs> <laughs> so the chicken and the egg is a misleading question yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know that's the paradox and you know when we talk about ugliness as being yeah. a world that you know we no longer notice whatever we don't notice is is ugly um it's it's only in the lack of beauty i think that we really begin to meet her right it's like we discover her in her absence you know mm. because something's missing and and you know we all feel when something's missing and yeah. it, it's like an illness it's like a disease um and yeah, it manifests elsewhere, i think that yeah and i think in that experience of absence of something we instinctually search for what is absent and so ultimately it leads us like that absence leads us to the thresholds that we were talking about earlier that mm. are like psyche's impossible tasks um and that when we cross we can access this more refined perception of the world um, or this substantial becoming that John o John O'Donoghue talks about. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Isn't one of the thresholds, if I remember rightly, in the Psyche and Eros story that uh, Psyche like has to sort of turn down a few things? Like, there's there's something about coins in her journey. Um, yeah, you might actually be thinking about the actual threshed experience where she's sorting the barley and the millet and the poppy seeds from each other um in the first her first impossible task and that there's no you know she has a night to complete it and there's no way she can and right so, so she has to categorize she, all of it right she has to move yes. all this stuff yeah okay yeah yes and that's her first task which yeah that's an interesting point too like what are the things in us that we need to you know how do we discern the debris that yeah, we so accumulate sort, throughout our lives? From, out, yeah, you have to sort yes. out the, the wheat from the chaff. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, and that's, I think, like part of the, the gift or the power of beauty as a transformative force, you know, because she transforms the debris in us, you know, and in our lives into something useful, something creative, you know, something that we can, that we can have a poesis, you know, like a, the making of something. Mm. Um, and Tolstoy actually, he had a really interesting approach to the transformative power of beauty um, in his novella, The Kreutzer Sonata. Um, he like, it's, it's a really complex story actually. Um, but essentially the hero is a brute of a man. <laughs> um, and he is only unarmored by music, by, you know, the Kreutzer Sonata, the name of the novella comes from Beethoven's um, piece of music. Um, so, so the main character, there's a scene where he hears Beethoven's Kreutzer Sonata. And, um, and he says, that piece had a terrible effect on me. It was as if quite new. Feelings, new possibilities of which I had till then been unaware had been revealed to me. And so when he hears this piece of music, his perception of everything changes and he sees old things with new eyes, right? Like everything appears in a new light. Um, mm. And that human beast in him got to experience beauty. Um, and what he saw, he recognized as a type of harmony that's already and always existing. Um, you know, like the Greek philosophers like Plato and Plotinus, they all talked about this experience of harmony as an attribute of the soul. Mm. And, and that we can only access when we ourselves possess beauty. Um, and Plotinus actually, his approach was that we can only possess beauty when we're true to our own being. Um, that ugliness comes from, 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 from self-betrayal and turning towards another order, one that is not our own. Um, wow. It's also fascinating know, because, sorry, just, just to go back to the first task of psyche, yeah. uh, the yeah. organizing and ordering, um, mm. I think it's easy to miss because it's in some ways so obvious, but um all philosophy is based really upon the idea of that that there is uh, order in chaos or that there is meaning in yeah. um you know to have a philosophy is is to sort of shine a light on something or you know to move through the world with mm. a sense of uh, cohesion um yeah of some kind and i think yeah. i think that's um yeah really fascinating just only because uh, when I think of um, like Chinese philosophy it's just so imbued with harmony that harmony with the, with, with mm. the cosmos mm. um, yeah and I think that's very much the psyche the sorry the marriage between psyche and eros um, that psyche is like the container around eros 
that Eros is like this unbridled, unruly force of nature and Psyche contains it. And you need both. Like we yeah. need a container around those forces because otherwise they undo us and then we're no good to anyone. Mm, um, yeah. And I think what you're talking about is also, you know, this idea of not betraying or having the the discernment and the separating or the categorizing between what is truth for us, like what is true in us and what is not, so that we're not betraying ourselves. And so that we show Aphrodite our loyalty to, you know, whatever it is that is most true for us. So Psyche had to prove her fidelity to Eros and her love for Eros, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. what Aphrodite, that's what beauty demands of us, like this total display of our fidelity. And then through that, our being is is shown or brought, brought forth um, and that tr truth in order to find truth. I think, as you say, is like uh, you have to, you sort of have to be in relation to what your being wants. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, sort of just to throw a spanner into the work, like, um, and and sort of go down the this inquiry of truth in relation to beauty. Um, mm. I feel that it's, for example, you know, conspiracy theories um, mm. are such an interesting search for truth. Um, but in a weird way, I think I think there's mm. um, there's too much knowing and not an, enough unknowing in it, um, mm. and I think you know with beauty comes uh, fear, you know, mm. uh, um, and I, I I feel that fear can either shake the shackles off of you and mm. place you in in front of beauty. Um, or, yeah. or it can, you know, cinch the belt and uh, increase the armor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, depending on how we relate to it. Um, like Hafez calls fear the cheapest room in the house, right? Wow. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know, I'd like to see you living in better conditions. Um, you know, because unless, <laughs> you know, unless you, I think conspiracy theories are a really good example of sitting with fear in its worst condition, you know, and it's um, to not live in, in trust um, is to not live in knowledge of yourself. And ultimately, like the Temple of Delphi um, had as one of its aphorisms, know thyself. Right. And another right. one, interestingly, was surety is death. So knowing truth doesn't mean that, you know, we're sure of anything. We, you know, we can't be because we're human and so we're limited. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, in order to know beauty, we have to know ourselves. Like that's another one of the ingredients, I think. Um, like Lorga says that, um, uh, how did it go? Um, 
The poem, the song, the picture is only water drawn from the well of the people. And it should be given back to them in a cup of beauty so that they may drink and in drinking understand themselves. Wow, that's great. Yeah, because really you're, it's, it's beauty. Uh, that's so funny that you said that because I, I was just thinking that beauty is so sensuous you know like mm. to really to really come in contact they're really to open up to it you know it involves smell yeah. it involves yeah. it involves touch you know there's yeah. you know that even we're unaware of it I think as as we approach beauty that it has a scent you know that yeah. even there's different gradations of sweat you know we can smell mm. fear in comparison to maybe the sweat mm. of uh, hard work or yeah. you know a hot summer's day um, yeah and I think I think that's you know talking about beauty um it just requires us to be sensuous doesn't it it requires all yeah. of our bodily instincts because I think when if 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 we were to speak on beauty in an academic sense we would mm. not we would we would be missing the other four senses um and just thinking Absolutely. it through, through with our mind yeah and I think that's yes yeah I think that's 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 it it's uh, that's what it means to be fully alive right to be to have all the sense of the senses active and and aware and in active participation with the other than human world and I think that the gentleness that we spoke of and the softness is really important because there's a tendency that you know that we all have in our neurosis <laughs> to mm. self-flagellate right yeah. and to punish ourselves when say we're faced with a threshold moment in life and we don't actually make it across or we stall or we make it but not not in great conditions or you know whatever it is um and I think that the subject of beauty is about really calling us back to this force that is, it's gentle, but it's an urgent call to wake up, you know, and, and yeah. it calls to the, to the imagination and it invites us into these new heights of, of experience, you know, of passion and, and homecoming for the soul. Um, you know, mm. it awakens all that is noble in us um, and that we don't actually, we don't have to punish ourselves to get there or when the terror comes up, when we're faced with, you know, the brightness of beauty. Um, yeah. Actually, Mary, Mary Oliver has a lovely poem that I'd love to share, actually, if I just find it. Um, yeah, go for it. Here we go. Wild Geese. Um by Mary Oliver, it goes like this. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese 
high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um like beauty, you know, you can't it doesn't you should never look at it directly. Um and a poem like that uh, doesn't deserve direct commentary. Um yeah. but uh I think when we speak about these things, you know, beauty or topics um, of this nature, you know, I think it requires us, like that poem, to expand our view of beauty and to hold it in a bigger sense than sometimes the myopic way that we see things. I think whenever I am in a struggle or feel like hardness um, or that repentance is because Mm. I haven't opened my gaze wide enough to be in the the family of things Mm, yes yes because um sorry please go ahead i think that's on no i think that's on point um and that beauty is essentially a homecoming that that our soul experiences back into the the world soul, you know? Um, It's like a reweaving back into the tapestry of things. And yeah, yeah, the greater world around us outside of our, the little self, you know, and the self-importance shrouded in glamour um, and, you know, the, the truth of things that is beauty um, and that that calls us back home fully awake and fully alive in the fullness of it yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because um, I think Joseph Campbell speaks about in the hero with a thousand faces which is um, of, often uh, misrepresented I think as a, mm-hmm. as a as a book and um he he talks um upon this um uh, what we spoke about earlier about immortality and that mm. <clears throat> immortality is you know this moment and that this moment this moment this moment and that mm. to engage with immortality we need to widen you know the pupil mm. of of what we see and what we take in um mm. and i think beauty requires us to see things from both sides it requires a doubleness of vision um you know not to only see our perspective but to to see the perspective of another um Mm. and beauty is i think by 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 nature a relational um yeah and so we have to see we have to see beauty from from the other side um in order to court it Absolutely. And I was also just maybe extending that into a metaphor. Um, 
it was something that you said much earlier on about um i think you used the word predatory i can't remember but i was feeling like mm-hmm. glamour glamour is is um maybe if you can divulge in this with me because i don't know if this is mm-hmm. this is just an idea but um mm-hmm. that glamour is 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 predatory and i think beauty is actually realizing that um that in courtship there is that sort of hunt but um the difference between glamour is i think it it, it's only it's one directional it's the predator and that energy and that energy that comes with um that predatory energy that's that's like an arrow in one direction but beauty actually realizes that it's a hunt and that the the predator and the hunter um or hunted are um, you know there's there's something because i you know the the courtly romances like um the mabinogian there's so often um this idea of hunting in relation to uh beauty and marriage and um mm. it's kind of sort of you know bringing in that um you know that desire which also has the quality of of uh you know destruction or violence um into it and i think that's beauty has to incorporate all those things has to enlarge and um in order for it not to be ugly which is i think maybe p- potentially or can be mm. more one-dimensional mm. I hope, yes, does that make any sense yeah i think it's that that um element of participation that's really important right that's like we're not talking about tyrannical forces that we have to you know bow our heads to and repent in order to arrive at or to earn or to deserve you know that i think those are very those are medieval notions of meeting the divine you know and um actually there's something about being in trust of life meaning that we're in trust of ourselves and so, you know, when you are in courtship of something or in a courtship with something, there's got to be a, a drawing on our own um, resourcefulness, you know, and like our own well, um, in order to pour into that which we are showing loyalty to or fidelity to, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so, you know, like, I think that throughout time, there's been lineages of a a sort of what we could call the religion of beauty, you know, or the um, devotion to beauty. And I think you see that in priestesshoods to Aphrodite in Hellenic and pre-Hellenic Greece. I think Mm. you see that in... um, hymns like the song of solomon um yeah where essentially we're hearing the longing of a maiden to for her beloved um that you know as is the nature with the troubadours that you brought up you never quite know if they're talking about a human or a god um or a force or a principle you know right right um and she says um is it, well, it's a really long one, but 
one section that I can remember right now is she says, my beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. You know, this is Song of Songs, like this is old stuff, and already we've got this motif of waking up you know out of that sleep arise arise my beautiful my beautiful mm. one and, and come away to where the flowers are appearing and the, the the doves are cooing and the fig trees are ripening um you know waking up into the garden of the beloved mm. um i think that's we see that in the religions or customs of mesopotamia with the devotion to inanna and the myths that came, um, that, that honoured her, um, like her, her um, love affair or courtship with her beloved Damuzi. Yes, um, yeah. And their lovemaking and how it's their lovemaking that fertilises the earth, you know, and that offers a yearly renewal of the natural world. Um, you know that this is like this is these can be seen as full devotional practices in the name of beauty you know like mm. the religion of beauty and you know, to just give one other example sorry it's it's too good it's just like there's so many amazing ones <laughs> um <laughs> sufism <laughs> sufism and mystical islam you know the great sufi mystics and poets and theosophers and scholars um often followed the path of of love or path of beauty mm. and would talk about you know this eternal longing for the beautiful or for for god and this is just another example of that of the absence of beauty being what sets us on the path to trying to find her you know um, to seek her out and that we know her in her absence. Um, mm. So, you know, cultures, you know, peoples cross-culturally have, have had this relationship with beauty and the transformative force that is beauty um, and to stretch towards it as a, a religious practice, you know, as like the essence of a religious practice. Mm, yeah, that's 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 delightful, Gabriela. <laughs> um, <laughs> try not to use the word beautiful. Um, <laughs> Slightly overused today, eh? Yeah, but uh, oh, just yeah, I think going back to that poem of you know, uh, summer that you that you had and that yeah that truth truth just reveals itself in in our surroundings that when um because that image of summer i think can also be found in winter you know it doesn't mm. it's also the seasons of of course of uh nature but also the seasons of where we're at with in relation to beauty yeah um and that um 
I think that spiritual aspect that you, you, you that divine part is so often missing in our in our culture um yeah you know it doesn't have to be related to dogma of you know mm. religion but that that spiritual part is so important for the circulation of allowing absence I think you know allowing mm. allowing absence to enter us because without that spiritual aspect without that divine aspect I think how how can we deal with its absence yes exactly um and I think that there's a there's an exploitation that can happen of and this is perhaps more linked to glamour but that we can exploit um a, a sort of ambiguity and multiplicity um, of being that isn't true, that's based on, you know, societal standards that we think we need to live up to. And so we wear, uh, you know, a whole manner of masks in order to fit in or, you know, be successful or whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And so we lose the mark, you know, it's like we miss the mark. We you know we're sort of living just on the surface of ourselves and our lives um and it's only when we start to beautify our gaze right and and seek to see with new eyes that we have this opportunity for transformation which is why i think it is ultimately a religious experience um or what the sufis would call this divinization of the self this way of relating with the world and with ourselves based on on beauty mm, yeah i think because how how often how often do we in this society sit with sit with our absence or sit with the absence of something um and uh yeah i think it, it returns us to you know beauty not necessarily being um you know contained to the human i think you know there's nothing there's nothing more <clears throat> beautiful than coming, you know, going on a walk and coming across uh, a bit of land and, and a hill that has has a certain curvature to it. Um, mm. And that the, like the river coursing through it, you know, there's there's mm. something very sensual about nature. And um, we can really only happen upon these things, I think, if uh, we 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 allow absence to enter us of you know absence of maybe a different kind what we think is beauty or you know that we need to be in a relationship uh, like a that beauty is only found in in a sexual partnership or um that you know beauty is only in relation to an to another human being you know yeah yeah absolutely and this intimate intimacy um of relationship with with beauty um and um actually brings to mind another poem by hafez um called i heard god laughing um and he says there is a beautiful creature living in a hole you have dug so at night i set fruit and grains and little pots of wine and milk besides your soft earth and mounds and i often sing but still, my dear, you do not come out. I have fallen in love with someone who hides inside you. 
we should talk about this problem. Otherwise, I will never leave you alone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> this, this spark of brightness that, you know, we're so terrified of, um, that can be, mm, can be drawn out by the transformative force that is beauty um, with softness and gentleness and, you know, obviously the fierce dedication as well, the fierce discipline of psyche yeah. um, and the urgency, um, but not without the, the softness as well. Um, the two, yeah, the two entwined. Yeah, otherwise we're just like re-traumatizing ourselves, aren't we? And, you know, going back into these sort of very archaic notions of self-flagellation in order to reach God, um, which is yeah. ultimately in the psyche of Western culture, right? Um, and so mm. we're just kind of unpicking and undoing that. And to unpick anything, we need softness of of touch don't we lightness and um hmm. healing yeah definitely and um just to because i'm aware that we're sort of coming uh you know just to uh, wrap things up um mm -hmm. just in, in relation to time but um going back to the story of psyche and eros that has really such a such a great offering that you made at the beginning there Gabriella because that really has been mm. the, the container um mm. but I was just I've I, I think um you know I'm I, I find myself susceptible to this but thinking that um beauty is um you know far more feminine than it is masculine mm. um but forgetting that eros is that eros enters psyche and eros is that masculine has a masculine quality mm. um i don't know if you if you have anything to say on, on that and the role of eros yeah i think that's a great point actually um because eros he's essentially the male god of love or the messenger of the goddess of love right like his job is to strike folks with his love dripping arrows <laughs> sent yeah. you know with his kind of map given to him by aphrodite herself you know she, so she's like this one this one and this one today and this one and that one and that one tomorrow and you know so eros essentially um his his task is to um strike people with love and with mm. beauty you know, it's when you're struck by the arrow of Eros that you, that what you see, you fall in love with. Um, mm. So yeah, I'd actually not thought about this before, um, but it, it is like your, your, his arrows are essentially cleaning the eye, right? And refining the perception to, to beauty. Um, and that's, through the masculine force that he is um what, what do you mean by cleaning the eye that the arrow is cleaning the eye 
Well, when he strikes you with his arrow, the first thing that you see, you fall in love with. And so it's as though the striking of the arrow can be understood as the cleaning or the the removal of the mm, ugliness, you know, or the waking us up to something that is already there, seeing it with new eyes. Hmm. I like, yeah, that so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, you know, beautifying gaze that John o- O'Donoghue talks about. And that, um, di- that but, directness, doesn't it? It has a, yeah. it has a ma- masculine quality to it. Obviously, we all have that male mm-hmm. and female, but it, that directness um, yeah. of the arrow. Yeah, exactly. What does it mean to be struck by Eros and see mm. with new eyes? Mm. Wow. Mm. Okay. I mean, that I feel like that could be the end there, <laughs> the end of the beginning. <laughs> Um, do you do you know yes. one one final question? Um, and it was just on my mind, and you know, you you may not have the answer, but I, I was just wondering what the other two tasks of uh, psyche were, if you can. Yeah. yeah. First of all, she sorts the barley from the poppy seeds and millet and what have you. Yeah. Then she has to gather wool from the shining golden rams, um, who are particularly violent um and then she has to gather water from the river Styx um that is uh that mortals can't touch um because if they touch it they will die um so she has to gather water from the river with her vessel um and in all three previous tasks so in all of those tasks she receives help from a particular god um, and so when she completes those three, um, and all these gods show up because of her, in response, perhaps better said, to her fidelity to each task, um, you know, unwavering loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so she makes it through each one with the help of, of the gods until she arrives at the fourth task, which is entering into the underworld. Um, and retrieving Psyche's beauty box. Um, the, so she, the when she goes, that, when she yeah. goes into the underworld, that's the only task where she hasn't got a helper. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So there is that right. moment of going alone. Yeah, that's a good point. This is what I mean. This story is like the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> there is, yeah, I mean, the each there each so task in itself could be a. Uh, two-hour podcast yes <laughs> well um, well who knows yes, yes. <laughs> here we go <laughs> well Gabriella thank you thank you so much for um uh, just it, I, I mean I'm sort of amazed that we can do this over such long distance and it feels so mm. alive and uh yeah I just can't believe that you're sort of like heading into the evening and um the day has barely begun here so Mm, yeah that's really yeah thank you so much Gabriella and um yeah I always appreciate your company and time Mm, of course thank you for having me again it's always always rich and nourishing and you know we touch on so many things so thank you it's all going to be brewing in me this evening in my dreaming I I imagine 
most definitely i'm very glad that i have gardening today i can i can uh let my mind wander mm. and uh let let all these these uh things settle um, yes but uh entering yeah they, the, entering, entering the garden, the garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes <laughs> entering the garden but well, yeah thank you mm. for those that uh, were listening uh and will be listening when this goes up um so yeah thank you very much and i think we'll we'll conclude it there Thank you. Los habitantes de la 
déjame que duerma, nodriza en paz. Y si llama a él, no le digas que estoy, dile que Alfonsina no vuelve. Y si llama a él, no le digas nunca que estoy. Thank you.